my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Yes, it is. Right? How'd you like one chapter? Was that a little better? <laughs> I know. I know you loved it. But I, I wish that I dared. I wish I dared. Um, uh, how many of you read it every day? I, w- I would just love to ask that. <gasps> I do see some hands. <laughs> Way to go. That's your assignment. If you read it every day, I'm telling you, you're going to know this chapter. You're going to know this book when we're done. So... I know, I don't, I don't put anybody on the spot. I promised you when you came that I would not put you on the spot. So even though I want to ask you, I won't. So, <laughs> but I want you to do it. I want you to do it because there's such a, um, there's so much when you, when you do it. There's, there, you learn so much more. Okay, all right, starting with the very first verse. And you can't help but see when you start John 1, 1, it reminds you of what else? Other verse. Genesis 1, you know? And so, and then, and then if you go to Revelation 1, you will hear, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So, whether it be in the front of God's Word, whether it's in the middle of God's Word, whether it's at the end, you know, and I asked you the question, what does He want you to know for sure? That, it's hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend this fact because we're so, we're so that there's a start and a finish, you know. But what do we know about God? He always, he's always the same and he always was. There has never been a time, you know, that there, that he wasn't here. And so, I mean, I can't even begin to start explaining that one, but he wants you to know that. Now, I think in the first few verses of John, he knows why he is starting this way. Now, John is different than the other three. The other three Gospels are very important, but they, talk, they mainly talk about um, what Jesus did and what he taught. So more about his actions and his words, what he taught. But John, he's the one that teaches us who Jesus is. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew, he wanted us to know that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised one for hundreds of years. Matthew is the, 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 the gospel that blends Old and New Testament. And Mark, he wants us to know that Jesus was the ultimate servant And Luke, he wants us to know because he's a doctor and he was so taken with the fact that he was a man and that the whole birth of Jesus, he he just goes into so many details because he is fascinated that Jesus was a man. He could be God and yet a man. And now John, he's the one that says he is God, the son of God. And and I want you to know that, I mean, John's saying this, I want you to know because you just take it for granted or you just get complacent about it and you, because your actions prove that when you worry and when you fear and when you fall apart and when all seems to be overwhelming, that means you don't realize who he is. If we really knew who he was and and his power and his love, we would not fall into the traps that we do. And so he's saying, before you go into the rest of my book here, I want you to stop, clear your head, clear your heart, and take a look that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. Now, I know that sounds kind of wordy, but he, who, is, who is he also bringing into the picture here? God is what? Trinity. He is spirit. He is son. He is father. We see the Trinity here, and, and John wants us again to see that God, the, the three in one, one God, only one God, but He has divided himself into three persons, 
And I know what some people say, it's so hard to understand. How could one God be three persons? That's just so complicated. And it is not. It is not complicated. And I'm going to tell you why. You can come up with your apple and your egg and all that kind of stuff. But it is, it, that's what's complicated. I don't like thinking about that. It's so not complicated when you think about your salvation, how your salvation needed three distinct people, three distinct persons. Everyone had their own, own place in your and my salvation. And this is the best way to understand the Trinity, why it's necessary that God has to separate into three persons. Well, God the Father, he's the one that came up with the idea that he wanted to buy us back. His unconditional love for us, he was the one that said, I'm going to find a way that I can bring them back to me because Genesis 3, the relationship was broken. And he's the one that said, I will make a way. I will show and I will make possible that they can be in a relationship with me again. So someone had to come up with the idea. Someone had to love us with that unconditional love. Someone when we didn't, someone had to lavish us with grace when, there, when, when the decision was made in Genesis 3, the choice was made. I mean, he could have just thrown in the towel, I mean, but he didn't. And then we see Jesus, we need, we need Jesus because he's the one the Father is going to send to become human so that his body can produce blood, which would be the ultimate sacrifice that he would accept. He would only accept the perfect blood of his son. So there we need Jesus because the, he's the one that would make this sacrifice and he's the one that would make our salvation possible. Then we need the Holy Spirit because once Jesus went back to, to heaven and we know he's seated at the throne and we know that, that we cannot do it without him, so we need his spirit to be left behind to live within us so that in our inadequacy, in our impossibility, there's no way we could live Christianity in our own strength. He enables us to do what we can't do for ourselves. We've been given that gift, that seal. On the day of our salvation at Calvary, we were given his spirit, and now we live with that spirit who then, if we're listening to him, he will lead, he will guide, he will encourage, he will remind, he will do everything we need to be able to walk step by step in accordance to God's will. And so, how, who is to blame when we get out of step? Because Paul says that we can walk in step with the Spirit, and then we can be blameless when we follow his word and we follow his Spirit. Then we can walk blameless with him. And when we don't, then we know it's our own fault. It's, it's, like I prayed tonight, he's given us every tool that we need. And so when we don't utilize the tools, like his word, we were talking tonight, I don't know if you heard Charles Stanley this week, but he, he comes up with some good statistics. Do you know that 95% of Christians don't read their Bible? 95%, oh yeah, they all pray, but 95% don't read their Bible. I mean, aren't you seeing that? Yet? Now, don't you start to shudder when you think, I mean, when we say, this is my Bible, I believe it's God's word. Every word's true. It's all I need. I hope you're discovering that it is all you need and that it really works. And I, I mean, no wonder people are in, even Christians are in a bad way. They, how, can you, how can you follow his commands if you don't know what they are? How can, you, how can you be led by the Spirit if you don't understand when that all happened and that all, all these answers are in there? So this book has everything that we need so we can live life to the fullest, abundant, whatever word you want, and 95% of Christians don't. 
I mean, and if they think that, oh, just a little five-minute devotional in the morning is what he means. No, no, that's not what he means. I mean, when you think about how, when you read this every day, can you, I'm sure you're discovering, you're discovering that there is so much in there. When we take one chapter, I really thought, like you, think, oh, I'm so glad. One chapter this week. One chapter. This this will be a piece of cake compared to 24 last week, you know. And I really did. I'm telling you, I worked harder this week. Because John does not want us to miss the, the crux. I mean, this is the, this is the overview He says, I want you to see God for who he is. I want you to see you the way you are. And I want you to see the world the way it is. You better. And so this is what he is starting with. In the beginning, I want you to know, in the beginning was the word. All three persons were at work for you and for me. Through him, and then he wants us to see, okay, you know that he always existed. You, you just try to fathom that. He always existed. So there was never a minute in your life that he wasn't there. Maybe that's the way to put it. Not that he was always there, but he was always there for you. There was never a second from the second you were conceived until the day that you There's never a moment he's not there with you. I want you to think about that. I want that to start resonating because that will make a whole lot of difference in how you handle yourself and how you handle life when you realize that he's there. And then he goes on and says, through him, through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. (laughs) No, I had to smile because I thought, you know what? He is saying saying the same thing, but two different ways. He says, first, I want you to know that through him, there is a, there, through him, all things were made. And then he goes on and says, well, let me try putting it this way, just in case you don't get that. If it wasn't for him, nothing would be made. So through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. So two ways is trying to say, would you try to fathom that? That it's through him, everything was made. How great is he? You know, I have to tell you something. When I, when I was doing this lesson, I haven't thought about this. I was probably only seven. And I remember, you know, how I look back now and I think, if I look back, I could see the Lord's hand even when I was seven. This was even before I went on Joe's Bible Hour. But there was something about that the Lord had plans. And if you do that, you will see the same, that the Lord had a, had a handle on you from the start. And, and just like David, even through the good days and through the bad days, when you, when you were following him and when you weren't following him, he was always there. He never let you down. He never, ever left you. So when I was seven, I don't know how, maybe some of you remember the, the days when my, every weekend my mom and dad either had company or went away for company. That's what they called it. Um, we were going to have company, and that meant that couples were coming over, maybe one couple, and oh, I love to watch my mom get ready because for one little couple, she had, she would get, she, they wore dresses, my dad put a suit on, can you imagine? But that was the way years and years ago. So every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, we either had company coming over or they went away and we had a babysitter. That was just the routine. We were used to, that was our normal. But I loved watching my mom every weekend. And then, and then one, one night, she had um, oh, one of their favorite couples. And they, they were um, married and, but never had children. And they took their little niece over because she was my age. And so, oh, we were so excited. And so a little girl came, and we had so much fun, obviously. But then another thing about company, they stayed till one. I mean, everybody did that. 
everybody's day. I mean, haven't things changed? But, but they were, you know, so, I mean, of course, we, we, they tucked us both into my, into my folks' bed, you know, so there the two of us little girls were, were in the bed, and we start talking away, you know, and I remember, and I even thought of this until I did this lesson, I remember saying to that little girl, saying, isn't God great? I remember saying that to her. And that opened up, and whether she thought so or not, I continued the conversation by telling her how, and I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, that I had plenty to say. And then, then we wanted to get up. We just had to sneak out of bed. And so we snuck to see what they were doing. So the two of us went down the hall, and I remember we were sneaking out, and we got caught. And, and so I remember my mom saying to me, we hear you two jabbering away. What are you jabbering about? And I didn't think anything of it saying, we're talking about how great God is. And I, rem- I remember my mom's mouth just dropped open and looked at the other couple who really don't go to church ever, you know. And so <laughs> I haven't thought of that ever. And I think the Lord wanted me to go back to that day when innocently I said God was great and we should talk about it. And you know, when you get older, then what happens, you don't want to talk about, you're kind of embarrassed, but we should be talking. John says, do you realize who he is? Do you realize that he always was and always will be and that he'll never leave and that he's got your life in his hand and created everything? There's not one thing that he didn't create You know, just stop once in a while and realize that. I think that's what John is trying to do. Don't take that for granted. You have a God that big, that that great, who loves you and wants to be there through it all and show that he is sufficient through it all. Then he goes on and says, In him, in him was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Two L words there. Two very important words. Not only is he great in who he is, who he is, but he's the one. He's the only one that can give you and I life. He breathes into us the breath of life. So he gives us life, life. But he also gives, and I think the life that Jesus um, gives us, John is saying, this is what I want you to see. He gives you so much more than just a mere survival life that you wake up every morning like, oh, another day. But you wake up saying, another day with purpose and worth. He gives you a different kind of, of um, reason reason you know you're still here because it isn't about you it's about him and he's going to use you and me John's saying do you realize that he's the giver of life to you and he's also your light he is the light of men in other words he is going to show you the way and what is Jesus I am the way I am the truth and I am the life John said, I am going to write this and I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. And he's a second person of the Trinity. He's part of the Godhead and he is great. And he loves you enough to shed blood for you. He's saying, I just want you to stop a minute. Because if you don't understand this, then all the rest of my chapters are not going to be worth it. You've got to understand this. The light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, there are times when I, well, I always keep a King James next to me. Not that I think that it's better or anything, but sometimes the words are better, I think. It's in just sometimes. And so I always check. And when I read, but the darkness has not understood it, I mean, and I believe that that's true. I don't think that my NIV is wrong there. Darkness does not understand light, does it? 
No, I mean, the world, because that's what he's really referring to, the world does not get Jesus. The world doesn't get Jesus. And so that's, that is a true statement. The darkness does not understand the light. But another word that King James uses, and I like this one too. I think it's uh, the other side of it. It says the, the darkness... It, Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. So it's true that darkness does not understand light. The world doesn't understand Jesus. But we can live in the assurance that as dark as the world is getting, the light of Jesus will always overcome the darkness. Aren't you glad that you know that? Because when you watch the news and it all is looking so dark and hopeless, you can remember John saying to you and reminding you that, that, that darkness cannot overcome the light. Then he says, there, there came a man. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, I don't know. Sometimes it gets a little confusing because John wrote this gospel, but he's not talking in the first person. He doesn't even talk about himself, but he wants us to know that the John he is talking about here is John the Baptist. And so he said there, there was a man sent from God, and boy, do we know that, don't we? John doesn't give all the details of John the Baptist. We don't know what his clothes were. We don't, you know, we don't know those details. But John makes sure that we know he was sent from God. No denying that at all. I mean, don't you remember when in, in, that's why we need all the Gospels, because I love it in Luke. And of course, Luke would write this, being a doctor. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth, all she had to do was say greetings to Elizabeth. And right away, that baby just leaped inside of her. So already at five months, that baby knew Jesus and knew his job, knew what his job was going to be. That's remarkable. So he was sent from God and, and he knew his mission. He, he, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He came as a witness to testify. I've read that many times, so have you. This time I stopped and I thought, what does that mean? And I thought, okay, if you were in a courtroom and you were in the, you were in the um, audience and you were listening to a case and if you are just sitting there listening to the case, you are neutral, right? No one knows, no, you're just neutral. The minute they call your name and you put your hand on that Bible, you become a witness to testify to what you know. That means you are no longer neutral. You have made a commitment. You have gone over the, the you are, you're no longer neutral. You have made a statement. You've made a commitment. You're going to witness and you're going to testify to what you've seen and what you know. So John the Baptist, he wasn't going to just be a little passive neutral. No, he was sent from God and he came to be a witness. He committed to the cause to testify that Jesus is the man. He's the promised Messiah. He took his job seriously. He himself was not the light. He made that very clear. But what also did, did John the apostle want us to know that John the Baptist's mission, his whole, pur his whole purpose was to witness and testify in verse 8 so that through him, Jesus, all men might believe. He wanted to be the one that told the message that Jesus was going to be the one who would be the Savior, the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah. John the Baptist's mission was to see to it that people believed in Jesus. Now, quickly, just go to John 20 a minute. Just go to um, John 19, I mean, John 19. 
Look at John the Apostle. Look what his whole goal of writing this gospel is for. He said in verse 35, chapter 19, the man who saw it, which is, he's, this is what, it, this is, he's talking about himself, but he doesn't say that. He said, the man who saw it was given testimony, and his testimony is true. That's John's way of saying, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears, and I can testify that what I'm telling you is the truth. And in Revelation, John says the same thing. I saw with my own eyes. I heard with my own ears. In other words, I want you to know this is incredible, folks. I saw it. And then he says, these things, and then he says, he knows that he tells the truth, and he too testifies. Not, he's not a little neutral bystander. I'm testifying. I'm committing to the cause. I'm going to tell you the truth so that you may believe. So look at John 1, John the Baptist's goal is that you and I would believe this. John the Apostle says, I'm writing this gospel so you and I can believe this. He himself was not the light. He came back to John 1. I'm back to John 1. He came and he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There's only one who could do it. He was promised for hundreds of years. The prophets, he, they couldn't have made it any clear. They couldn't have described what Jesus was even going to go through any clear. And he, John, John says, I was sent by God to be able to tell you so that you could be ready for this. He's here. He was in the world. Now, this is where it's, I think it's so sad. He was in the world. I mean, in other words, he was standing right there. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, remember, we just read that. Everything was made through him. There was nothing that wasn't made that he didn't make. So in other words, he made everything. And so yet, even though he was standing right there, that world would not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. So now he's talking about the Israel people. If anybody should have believed, and that reminded me of, remember when David was on the run and he thought those two, you know, the, the Zephites or, and then, you know, he thought for sure that those two in that one chapter, you know, thought for sure he could count on them. I mean, for after all, he'd, he, through the Lord, saved that city. He thought for sure they'd stand behind him. Nope, they didn't. And then, then his own people from the tribe of Judah, he thought for sure they'd stand behind him. Nope, they didn't either. Well, you know, when Jesus came, he started with Abraham, Genesis 12, and said, I have to pick, I have to pick a lineage. I've got to pick a line of people. So it started with Abraham and then the patriarchs and then Joseph and then on to, on to you know, Jacob was Israel and turn, his name was turned to Israel. And then when he went to, they went to Egypt, there was 70 people multiplied into a million. That whole thing. And then Moses and then the, you know, we, the whole Old Testament, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, all of scripture is about who? Jesus. All of scripture is about Jesus. So here, the line, Jesus, people, Jesus' own people, the ones that came from Abraham, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, what they, look, he came into the world and they didn't recognize him. He came to his own, but his own didn't re even receive him. That's the hardest I mean, it's so hard when people that you think are going to be supportive of you. You know, it's always true. I could, I could always handle when the world did get me. I, I didn't blame them. I mean, you know, the darkness doesn't understand the light. So I could understand when the world didn't get me. But, you know, sometimes I had my hardest times. I had my hardest times. Somebody asked me one time, they said, uh, um, how come you keep singing in the churches? 
How come you just, you know, why doesn't your ministry go to, you know, why do you, why do you, I said, I've centered into the church because sometimes that's, they're, they're the, the ones that need it the most. I mean, there are times I would stand up in front of them and they would just look at me like, just try to bless me. I mean, some of the attitudes that, that I saw and some of the, the, um, the lackadaisical and the complacency and, I mean, you, you just, it just think of all people, you should get this. You know, and, you know, so often some of the hardest things for people he least expected. I mean, and, and that shouldn't be a surprise because look at it happen to Jesus. Okay, children, he says, oh, he said, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, verse 12. You know that by heart, I'm sure many of you, what, what word, because he painted a pretty dark picture here. He stood right there and I created this whole world and because, you know, Paul said in Romans 1, he said that all you have to do is look around at this creation. There is no man without excuse. All you have to do is look around. And when I read that verse, and I, I just, I think, you know, Paul, he got it. I mean, he understood. And when he says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And then his own people, his own people, they didn't, they didn't recognize him. They didn't want to. And then you see verse 12, and you see that first word, yet. Because after, after, reading, 10 and after reading verse 10, wouldn't you just think, well, you know, nuts to the whole lot of you. That word in verse 12, yet, yet to all who will receive him, all who receive him. Now, we can quote it, but I just want to make sure you know what that means. What does it mean to receive him? What does it mean to receive him? When, when he says, yet to all who receive him, you receive him as your Lord and Savior. You've taken that walk to Calvary. You know that you can't do it without him. You know that we're all the same, maybe different in every other way, but the one thing we have all the same is that we all need a Savior. And we know he has done everything that needed to be done. However, we need to receive him. We need to receive it back. We need, to, we need to take what he's offered. We have to do our part. A healthy relationship is when both parties are working equally. And we know Jesus did it all. And yet he says, if you receive that gift, if you realize, and you have to know what that means to receive that gift, when you receive it, you receive it and you believe in his name. You believe in his name. How do you know whether you really believe his name or not? How do you know? Because there are so many people that say, well, yeah, I believe. And yet it hasn't done a thing to him. How do you know when you really believe from your heart, it changes your life? Oh, he says, when yet, yet, he, he says, I'm not throwing in the towel. Yet, if, any, if there's anyone who received my gift and believe that, that my name is the name above all names, then he says, he gave the right. Look, look what, look what he promises you and me. To wear the title of child of God. Remember we talked about that, you know, how so many times, you know, we, we have different hats and, and we have many titles and, and we think that, you know, that is all the hats and the titles that we have are going to make us worthy. That's what's going to make us who we are when really all we need is that title, I'm a child of God. 
and then he says, okay, now, um, I got to make sure you understand that. Now, he'll, he'll go and explain it more in a couple chapters, but right now he says, I want you to understand, verse 13, that you're a child again. You're a child. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm an adult, and now I've got to regress, and I've got to become a child again. And, and ch- children born not of natural descent. So what is he talking about? You've got to go all the way back to being born. Born, not the kind of born. You were born once, not that kind of born, not the human decision of a, or a husband's will. That, that has already been done. I'm talking about you've got to be born again. You've got to, you've got to have a whole new birth. Born of God, born of God and through the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, you, you are a new creature. Did you ever hear that we need to be born twice if we only want to die once? Need to be born and then born again if we only want to die once in our physical death because we know that the part of us that is really us, Jesus takes and we never die. That's only possible if you're born twice. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The reason why I had you say, when I asked you the question about um, verse 14 being a Christmas verse, a lady asked me that once. She says, is that Christmas? And I said, it sure is. I said, I know Luke 2 is known for the Christmas chapter. But to me, John 1, John 1 verse um, 14 to me is the greatest Christmas verse of all. The word from John 1, 1, that word, which we know is Jesus, became flesh when, the, when he obeyed the Father and became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the greatest Christmas verse. Oh, in, in the verses we just did, I just want to make sure you realize, did you see some all-inclusive words? What, what all-inclusive words did you ever, in case you're ever in doubt about who did Jesus do all this for, what words, what words came out when you were going over this every day? What, verses, what words came out? All, all, every, exactly. John made sure we knew that this was for all. It was for everyone. But what's the requirement? Jesus did it for everyone. But what's the requirement again? Yet to those who receive and believe in his name. See, and that's not that many who do that. Believe it or not. So that's major. And if you really want to work in relationship, and if you really want to be his child, and if you really want an eternal home, and if you really want to experience abundant life, that one verse, verse 12, that's an important verse for you and I. And we can be mighty grateful for verse 14. We have seen his glory. Now John, the apostle, he said, we have seen his glory. (laughs) Oh, yes, he sure did. John really did. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. What's the next verse that you know? See, when you go through it slow and when you go through it every day, these are words you don't want to miss because they make major difference. He's not just grace and truth. He's what? Full. He's full of grace and truth. That means that when it comes to grace, he is full of grace. That means there's one little part that you and I can do on our own. Because he's full of grace. To save you and me, it took him being full of grace. To me, that says that that is so clear to me that I cannot, there's not one little bit of me that can make that happen. 
Even though I believe that, yes, he did it. He died for me, yes. Sir. But I kind of I was good at this. I kind of did that. So I'm sure he, was, he liked that. No, nothing. He was full of grace. We are all sinners in need of that grace. And he's full of it. He's full of grace and truth. His story which we're going to be now going into, that John says, I want you to know who he is. He is the truth. And in a day and age where there isn't much truth, I mean, I don't want to get cynical, but I got to tell you, I don't believe anybody anymore. I mean, that's terrible. It's getting to be like that. You're second guessing everybody's motive. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, though, because he's driving me more and more into this book because he is truth. He's full of grace and full of truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, anybody who doesn't, understand who God is, that he was always, they're going to look at that verse and say, that's just a bunch of nonsense. How can, how can you mean that he came after me, but really he was before me? See, that's why John said, I got to start this chapter the way I do, because I want you to make sure that you know that that verse makes perfect sense. I mean, physically, yeah, Jesus was born months after John the Baptist. But John the Baptist testifies, oh, no, no, he was way before me. Because I testify and I'm a witness to who he is because I was sent by God to know all that. And that's what I'm willing to testify and witness to. So that verse makes perfect sense. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. From the, from the fullness of his grace and truth, we have received one blessing after another. I hope you know what those blessings are. In case you don't, I just wrote them down. And because uh, I didn't want you to miss it. These are the blessings. I mean, you, you can call your home and your family and all that. I mean, those are, those are blessings. I'm not saying that. But he's the blessing that he says you and I can live in, no matter what's happening in the world or your family or whatever. He said, even though all the things in this world can be rocking all around you, you are still every day experiencing one blessing after another. If you know what your blessings really are. And I went to Ephesians 1 where Paul is so clear about that we receive every spiritual blessing from the heavenly realms. In other words, these blessings couldn't come from anybody but him. One of them is he chose me. He chose me. And you say, well, well, how come he didn't choose that person? Oh, no, we've already been through that. How many? What, what absolute words did you see? What all-inclusive words did you hear? Every and all. We've got that settled. He did it for everyone. He chose us all. I'm chosen by him. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you first because you would have never chose me. I chose you first. Now what I want you to do is choose me back. I want you to receive me and believe in my name, but I want you to know you're chosen. I came for you. We're adopted. We're a child of God. We're now, you talk about different people, different nations, all nations. We know that we're all inclusive into this family of God. We're adapted in. We're engrafted into his family. Oh, Chad preached a sermon Sunday. I got to tell you, I listened in the afternoon, on Sunday afternoon. He, his main point was, and you belong. And you belong. He kept saying that about, and you belong. Ruth the Moabite, you belong. People that you think, you know, you belong. He chose, he chose all of us. And we're all sinners. 
And we, we belong, we can belong into his family. All we have to do is receive and believe in his name. And then Paul says, grace freely, grace freely given. Grace, undeserved favor. Never define grace without using the word undeserved. Never. I mean, you can say God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah, that's all well and good. It's true. But don't ever define grace without saying undeserved. We are so undeserved. And yet he lavishes us with his grace. And he lavishes us, Paul says, with all wisdom and understanding. And he doesn't say, to those who go 14 years to seminary, he doesn't say that. He lavishes you and I, his child, he lavishes us with wisdom and understanding. By how, what did he do to lavish us with wisdom and understanding? His word and his spirit. So that we can understand this. He lavishes us with, with Bibles and his spirit so that we can get this. And know who we are in his. Redemption. Redemption. I've been bought back through his blood. That's another spiritual blessing that should mean more tomorrow than it even does today. Forgiveness of sins. That should mean more tomorrow than it does today. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. Freedom in Christ should mean more tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We've been set free of our own self. And we've been sealed with his spirit. See? And that should, too, be ongoing more and more every day as we understand. We've been sealed with a third person of the Trinity living inside of us. Shame on us when we don't utilize them. Think we know better. So then he says... Um, from the fullness of his grace, we have one receive, receive one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. You know, those hundreds of laws, they were given through Moses. But did you notice? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's really, I think it's so interesting to go into the Old Testament and see, you know, even the Mosaic and Leviticus law, I mean, what they had to do and to know that Jesus fulfilled those laws. And, and it's, it's something I never really thought about that the law was fulfilled through Jesus. I mean, Jesus even changed the law. Like, remember, you know, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery, you know? And then Jesus comes and says, you've been taught that you can't kill, um, but even if you, same thing with adultery. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I'm saying that if you even lust in your heart, See, Jesus changed. See, everything else was, you know, they had to, you know, they had to do it. They all the doing. And Jesus came and said, now I'm going after your heart. Remember when he said, um, uh, I know you know eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I'm telling you, I want you to love what? Your enemies. I want you to love your enemies. <laughs> He said, I know, I know Old Testament taught you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I'm changing, I'm going after your heart, and I'm telling you, I want you to love your enemies. So Moses, yes, Moses' law was, he, he, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, this was John's testimony. Again, John the Baptist, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess. Never once did he take credit for himself. He said he never failed. It said he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Okay, then who are you? Are you? Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you a prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. In other words, we don't want to go back looking like idiots. Who in the world are you? You know, they know that he's, a, he's you know, he's strong and he's testifying and he's, you know, he's not a 
bit afraid of what people think and, and he's, he's got his mission. And Well, who are you? What do you say about yourself? And he, John replied, I am the voice. I am the voice of one calling in the desert. This, I'm just a voice. And my, and my voice is saying, make way. Make straight the way for the Lord. The one who can do it all is coming. And my job is to make straight the way. I'm leading them in. Some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, <laughs> you don't have the right credentials, mister. What are you baptizing? You don't have the right degrees. What in the world are you baptizing people for? And he said, I baptize with water. And I can do that because when you baptize with water... Basically, he's saying that what I am doing is I am baptizing them. They're going down in the water as, as dead to their sin. And they want people to know. They want to testify. They, too, want to testify and witness that they're changed and that they've accepted and received this, this Christ. And he said they go down as a demonstration, a humility, go down in the water, <laughs> dead to themselves, and come up alive in Christ. I can do that. I can remember when a young family with two young children wanted me to come and, and do communion. She, the, the gal was, was um, dying of cancer, and they, they wanted to have communion. And they asked if I would come and do it. My first, I quick called the church and said, do I have the right stuff? I mean, do I, I don't have any credentials. Um, I only graduated from high school. Can I do this, you know? And the, in the church, you know what they said? They want you, you do it. And I'll never forget it. I took my little container, my little bread and my my little grape juice, and I went in there and and I laid it all out. And I remember telling the children, I started telling them how it all started in Egypt and how the blood had to be over the doorposts. And and that was called the Passover. And then then when Jesus came on the Last Supper, he said, my blood will be shed for you and and my body will be broken for you. And and I was explaining all that. and, And... that little girl came to know Jesus that night. I'm so glad. I'm, think, I'm thinking to myself, you know, John the Baptist, I know he was a son of God, but you and I are a son of God too. And we can't do what Jesus did, but we sure can show somebody and we can explain to somebody because we are sold on, on it. And he says, I can, I can do that. I can do that because I'm just going, I'm just doing the demonstration of the sim- symbol of it all. And that's what they want to show. They're just so excited about what's happened to them. He says, it is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He's the one. He's the one that does it all. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God. Among all the people, I mean, he just centered in and he said, look, you got to look. Choose to put your eyes right there. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I hope that if, uh, if you don't believe in writing in your Bible, this is one time you have to. That is the line of all lines. That is the line of all lines. This is what Jesus came to do, to take away all sin from all the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed in Israel. Then John gave his testimony. He said, look, again, I'm testifying, telling you my story. I saw, I actually, with my own eyes, I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is, the, is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify, this is the Son of God. Now, you look at that, you see, okay, baptized with water, and then you see baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that right away, you know, people get nervous. You and I should just want a baptism of the Holy Spirit because, you know, when you go down in the water, it's symbolic of the washing away of your sins. But you know what? We're human beings, and we're going to get dirty again. We're going to sin again. We're, so how do we keep clean? What keeps us clean? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit keeps us clean. And where did the Holy Spirit come? On the day that we go to the cross. Because of Jesus, we have been given the third person of the Trinity so that now he can live in us so that he is the one responsible to keep us clean if we're listening to him. So being baptized with the Holy Spirit should be something that word we don't run from or be afraid of. It's something that we know we need. I need the Holy Spirit every day to come over all of me so that I don't get dirty again. Next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said again, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, you can tell John is so committed and knows his, his, his whole purpose. Because if you have two, I mean, it's like me. If, it's like if I was singing and all of a sudden um, somebody else was singing over there and my crowd started leaving and going over there. Hey, wait a minute. I'm just as good as them. You know, but John knew, John the Baptist knew he wasn't. I think if we could see John the Baptist when these two, and we believe we, it was Andrew, we know one was Andrew, but we believe that the other one was John. And, and when they turned and went followed Jesus, I would dare say John the Baptist was smiling saying, I did my job. I did my job. And when the two heard this, they followed Jesus, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked. Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? Now, there's another time I went to the King James, because I don't think Jesus would say, you know, like, what do you want? <laughs> I just, I don't think Jesus would say, what do you want? You know, so I went to King James, and it said, what do you seek? And I think that, to me, makes more sense when Jesus says, what do you seek? You know, are, are you serious? Now I want to know. Uh, if you seek, what does he promise? You'll find. But what do you have to do? Seek. You've got to seek. You've got to do your part. You've got to want this. And so he's saying, he's kind of just double-checking with them. Who do you seek? What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi. They called him teacher, Rabbi. Where are you staying? And then Jesus answered, and I asked you the question, when you don't know what the answer is, what does Jesus, what does Jesus say? When you have a question, and he doesn't always just come right out and tell you the answer, what does he tell you to do? Come. Come and see. Come and see. In other words, come to Bible study. I get asked all the time, what in the world do you do there all the time? I'm starting to learn. I got a whole new answer. Come and see. Come and see. Because for a long time, I would spend about five minutes, five minutes that they probably didn't want to hear. And I maybe have turned more people off by saying, oh, you can't believe what we're doing in there. And then I go on and on. We sing and we, you know. And now I'm just starting to say, come and see. If you really want it, you'll come. I, don't, I can't change your mind. I'm, I, for a long time, I thought that it was my job to change your mind, try to get you to come. And now I'm starting to see if you want it, if the Spirit's pricking your heart and you want to know, then come. Then you come and see. 
So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. And, and from what I, was, what I studied, they said, you know, my, the, the people that I was reading about, they said that they figured that was John because who would know what time it was? <laughs> so they figured it was probably John and Andrew. Well, then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon. We have found the Messiah. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which translated to Peter. Then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he had someone in his mind. He knew he wanted this guy on his team. And he went, he found Philip, and he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. If you look in the, if you look in the list of, of disciples and you don't see Nathaniel, Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same. So just, but anyway, found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. See, these are good Jewish boys. And they know the Old Testament. And they know what was promised. And they chose to receive it and believe it. And they said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And, you know, I wrote in my Bible, I put Old Testament. I thought, see, the Old Testament has credibility. And they, they could go back and, and remember what Moses and the Passover and then the prophets and all that, what they all said was coming. He's here. Nazareth. Oh, don't you just like this guy? I like that, Nathaniel. He says, Nazareth. See, Nazareth was not one of your prominent cities. It was low on the totem pole as far as social status. It was just, you know, that was a legitimate question, Nathaniel. You know what? Nathaniel dares ask what everybody else is thinking. And Jesus knows that. So when, when Nathaniel said, Nazareth, what good can come out of Nazareth? Philip, he's learned. What's his answer? Come and see. Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. In other words, and this is why I asked you in the last question, I, would, I want this trait. Because you know what this says? No game plan. His yes is yes and his no is no. And people know that about him. He isn't the kind that says all nice things to your face. And as soon as you turn, turn around, they stab you in the back. When Jesus said that about Nathaniel in, in Israel, there, there, he's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. I'm telling you, he's real. He's honest. He's the real thing. Those are qualities that you and I should want. There's so, so much game playing going on nowadays. And then they also asked, well, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I mean, he believed it. Now, Jesus loved that response. But he said, oh, Nathaniel, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You know, yeah, that probably is quite good that I knew that. And you are amazed by it. Yeah. But he pretty much is going to say, Nathaniel, you have seen nothing yet. If you think that's good, you wait till I start doing my miracles. You wait till I start when I hang on the cross for, for the sins of all mankind, when I take away the sins of the world. When you start seeing that, and then he, he uses, and again, so wonderful of Jesus. He's talking to good Jewish boys who, who have known this story probably through flannel graph too. I'm sure they were told, they were told the story. I mean, can't you just hear these Jewish families saying, once upon a time, there was a man named Jacob, and he was a naughty boy, and he had to, he had to flee from his brother because his brother wanted to kill him because he deceived his brother. 
And he ran for his life, and he got to a place called Bethel, and his pillow was a stone. But that night, he had a dream, and he saw Jesus. And he saw a ladder, and he saw that Jesus was the mediator. He, it's, well, it's, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see what I came for. You will see that I am the go-between so that you can be bought back. But use that story to say, remember when you were taught that story? Well, that's me. That's me. And you're going to see what I've come to do. Nathaniel, you've seen nothing yet. And in John 1, look, it's just John 1. I can't wait to go to 2. I can't wait to go to 3. Jesus is saying, I, you have seen nothing yet of what I can do for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night, for making it so clear who you are. You are so great. You were before. You are now. You always will be. There'll never be a second you weren't with us. And you want to teach us. You've given us the tools. Lord, may we desire. May we come and see. And may we be real. Lord, we don't want to be false. We don't want to be pretend. We, don't, we want you to see our heart and, you, and, and smile. We want you to smile. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking us just as we are. Oh, Lamb of God, we come. We come. And it's that Lamb we pray all this. Amen.